Hey everyone, this is Keonti Brown Whitney, your host of Black Girls Bonding. Welcome to the very, very first episode of which I hope there will be many, many more. So today I want to talk to you all about something that we as adults very rarely talk about. Um, I think we're told from a very young age that if you work hard enough, you'll get what you want. And what adulthood teaches us is that that's not always the case. So today, I just want to talk about the fact that you just don't always get what you want. Um, And as I mentioned a little earlier, as kids, we are told that if we work hard enough for something, we'll get it. And this same idea gets reinforced in adulthood. And I found that especially true for those of us who grew up in or were even peripheral to the church. I didn't grow up deep um, in a church, particularly like, uh, you know, a black church. I was very much raised in a Lutheran church. Um, backstory is because it gave, it gave my parents discounted tuition to the school I went to. So, um, I wasn't necessarily steeped in a culture like, you know, a good deal of us were, but, you know, I did grow up in a very Christian household with very strict beliefs. And one of those things is, you know, you work hard, you pray to God, he'll give you what you want. Um, I remember growing up with my mother telling me a lot, you know, God will grant you the desires of your heart. Or when two or more come together and touch and agree, you know, you guys have all heard it before. And I think a lot of that does get reinforced, right? When you're like looking to go to college or get that good job or, you know, go to vacate. I mean, whatever, whatever goals you put out there, um, oftentimes you're able to get it with that belief. But then some things come up um, and that's not always the case. Some things where tenacity and perseverance aren't enough. Um, and the last couple of years have, have really taught me that and have really reinforced that that concept of you don't always get what you want. And I don't mean that in a negative space. So I hope to unpack a little bit of that today. Um You know, as high performers and type A planning types, I think that reality is harder, right? Because you plan for so many things, you tend to get them, right? But in in, in some cases, that's just not the case. You don't necessarily get your desired goal. Um, And what I'm learning about myself and what I hope really resonates is that it's important to learn how to pivot. And I don't think I was taught that as a kid. Um, And learning it in my 40s has been difficult, but also extremely enlightening, right? Um, because I'm learning something new about myself and I'm becoming a little more flexible and I am, you know, learning how to pivot a bit. Um, and, and I talk to a lot of people who feel the same way, who share the same sentiment in that mm, it's hard. It's hard to turn and pick another road um, because we tend to think there's one road to happiness. Right. And that road is, you know, paved with picket fences and handsome husbands and two and a half kids and a dog or two, maybe a cat, depending on what you're living, you know, what what, what you want. And in actuality, that's not everybody's reality. Like everybody can't have that. And who would want it, right? It's kind of boring. And the fact is, is that life doesn't go as planned, right? Like if I think about my life, I planned my life well out, right? Like I'm a planner. So I planned my entire life when I was like 22 years old, (laughs) which You know, for some people that works out. But as I even reflect now, I'm like, I didn't know anything at 22. I had such limited exposure 
to anything? Like, how could I possibly say, like, these are all the things I want for my life? I didn't know shit. I didn't know shit. It wasn't until I got older that I started to figure out what my, you know, preferences are, what I liked, what I didn't like, but I had to be exposed to certain things, right? So when I was 22, I just knew by the age of 30, I wanted to be married and have a kid. Like that was the goal, right? What I didn't necessarily plan for was such a much richer, more layered life, right? Like I didn't account for traveling, you know, all over the world with my girlfriends. I didn't travel. I didn't account for going to business school and, you know, bossing up, getting an MBA, moving to New York again, more travel, meeting incredible people, getting my heart broken more times than I care to even mention. But like just the pure, you know, act of falling in love is just so beautiful, right? Like heartbreaking, but also beautiful. And that's what I didn't give myself um, room to sort of explore, right? Like at 22, because what the hell do I know? Um, And I'm so grateful I wasn't married with a kid at 30. I didn't know myself, right? Like when I think of 30-year-old me and compare her to 44-year-old me, miles, galaxies away, you know? So I'm I'm definitely grateful for, for God's intervention, the universe's intervention there. And the fact that I didn't have that limit on my life. And that's no shade to people whose lives did pan out that way. I think that's beautiful, but it just wasn't my path. And I think oftentimes we count it a failure if we didn't meet the goals that the younger self set up. And I think that's when it's a little bit dangerous because we're not accounting for that growth, that evolution, right? Like we're holding ourselves to a 22 year old standard instead of the standard that allows for evolution and, you know, increased exposure and that kind of a thing, right? I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I'm being incredibly clear here, but you know, our priorities shift. And sometimes when we hold ourselves to that standard, we don't really give ourselves credit for all of the other things that we might've achieved, right? We're just so eager to check that that box off that you know, we don't really give ourselves chance a chance to pivot or to let that goal expand and turn into something even more beautiful. And so I'm going to get a little bit personal here. Um from the time I was a a little girl, I wanted kids. I just always assumed I would be a mother. I'm the oldest of four sisters, like four girls. I have three little sisters. I very much mothered them and took care of them. And it was something that came kind of natural to me. I like to nurture, right? Like it's something I really enjoy doing. And so I didn't even think twice. I was like, of course I'm going to be a mom. And going back to the the concept of exposure, I didn't know anybody that didn't have kids, right? I, I don't, I didn't know a single woman in my orbit that did not have children. So I just assumed that that is what you did. That is what you're supposed to do. It is just, you know, fact. That's just what happened. So fast forward, right? And, you know, it didn't happen, right? <laughs> like, I'm like, okay, I'm in my 20s. I'm in my 30s. It's still not happening. Now I'm getting a little nervous, right? And I didn't get married until, you know, what many might consider later in life. I was 40. And even though we started trying to get pregnant before we got married, 
it just didn't come to pass. And, you know, we had gone through a lot. We tried naturally for a long time, you know, doing the temperature checks, you know, basal temperature, um, you know, ovulation kits. I mean, the whole nine, even when as far as to do IVF, which was painfully expensive. It took such a toll on me emotionally, physically, financially, of course. Um, and, you know, it just it just didn't work out. And, and I just want to note here that I'm still very much in the process, right? Like some days I get up and I'm totally fine. I'm like, oh my God, it feels, you know, this freedom feels good. I'm so great. You know, I'm grateful for my life. But sometimes I wake up and I just feel like something is missing, you know? So I'm still very much in the process. I can't even say that I'm on the other side. And even at 44, right? Like I know what the stats are. It's like something like 1% chance of women getting pregnant naturally at this age. But I still am being just very honest and, and really quite vulnerable here and staying that I do, I do, I do still hold on to that hope. I'm learning to live the life I currently have, right? Um, but at the same time, there is hope in the back of my mind. Um, and so I'm in the middle of this process. And I think it's important to share that. I was listening to Glennon Doyle's podcast, um, We Can Do Hard Things, and she was talking about how people usually tell their story, give their testimony once they get to the other side, but very rarely do people talk about it while they're in it. So I'm very much in it. And I'm hoping that uh, by me telling my story, as I'm going through the story, <laughs> that it works to help someone. Um, so, yeah, uh, it's my feelings change a lot, day to day, sometimes within the same day. But one thing I know is that I'm not the only one that feels this way and that perhaps sharing this will help someone. Um, I know when I was in the midst of it, especially the IVF process, like I just felt so incredibly lonely. I didn't know anyone going through IVF in general, but I certainly didn't know any women, black women that were going through it or had gone through it. Or even the part that no one wants to talk about, like, what if it doesn't work? You know, I, I didn't have anyone to talk to about what happens when or if it doesn't work. How do you move on? How do you pick up and, and just keep walking along? And so I'm hoping and, you know, over future podcasts and over future episodes and, you know, as as this thing builds, I'm hoping to be able to share even more of my story with you, not just that part. Right. Like I'm so much more than, you know, uh, challenged fertility. But just my goal with this podcast is to really build community, to build connection. I want black women to feel heard and seen. And by just talking about different stories, I hope that comes across. And I want to hear from you guys or you ladies. I want to hear from you. I want you to tell me your stories of what, you know, didn't quite go as planned and what you're still working through and how you might have pivoted and how you're still processing some things. And so if you could send me an email at blackgirlsbonding at gmail.com. So that's blackgirlsbonding at gmail.com. We're going to take a little break and we'll be right back. All right. So anyone that knows me loves knows that I love, love, love so many parts of pop culture, but particularly um, television and film and me saying television and film makes it seem 
so much more fancy than what it actually is. I'm talking reality TV. I'm talking docu-series, but like not even necessarily the super intellectual docu-series. I'm talking like I just finished Prince and Harry. Like that's the kind of stuff I like to talk about. Books that I've read, articles, all of that stuff. Like I love all things pop culture. I just love it. Um, and so I gotta say, Oh, and I should also mention that one of the ways I bond with people is through this kind of content. Like most of the friends I have, with the exception of a couple, is we talk endlessly about Real Housewives, books we've read, um, you know, articles that we've seen, like all of the, the stuff, right? And so, you know, it's appropriate, Black Girls Bonding, that we talk about something that gets me bond <laughs> bonding with people, right? So... um. I want to talk quickly about something I just finished reading, Spare. It's that book by Prince Harry, his memoir. And oh my God, y'all, have, have you read that? <laughs> okay, so I decided to listen to the book, even though I prefer to read books. But because it was Harry reading it himself, I just I had to indulge. And for what it's worth, he does have a really nice voice. It's very soothing and you know, it pulls you in in a way that like not a lot of narrators can do. So so that part was good. Um, and I really picked it up. I'll, I'll just I'll just say it. I decided to get it because I knew he was going to pour some tea. Right. And I heard that tea was piping hot and I was here for it. And the first few chapters did some of that. Right. Like the, the tea was getting to be a little warm. I was leaning in. I was into it. And then it got real boring, y'all. The middle was so excruciating. Like he went into so many details about the war and how he was a soldier. And don't get me wrong. I know that is extremely important stuff, right? Like I am glad that he fought for his country, you know, all of that. But my God, that man went on for, I'm not kidding, probably about 10 hours about that kind of stuff. Um, and then luckily at the end, it picked back up. I want to say the last two, three hours you know, he started talking about how he met Megan and, you know, all that they had to deal with. And and as an American, I don't think I understood the extent to which the paparazzi was out after them, you know, like, I, I, I don't think I understood it. And, and I'm, if I'm honest, you know, I kind of thought in the beginning, like, didn't she know what she signed up for? Like, of course, the paparazzi is coming at them. But just hearing the sheer volume of stories that came out about her that weren't necessarily true and the extent that the paparazzi went through to get, you know, pictures of her or stories from her friends and family. And my God, it was so heartbreaking to hear like, you know, how her father even betrayed her. So it was rough, right? Like hearing that part was really tough, but, but here's the part that is probably not necessarily popular opinion, but it's my opinion. So I get to say it, it, I don't, necessarily know how I feel about Megan anymore. I think maybe I was a little bit neutral to positive on her before, but now I'm kind of like, huh, that American privilege you had really did impact you over there, huh? And by American privilege, I mean, we've seen her, right? And and when black people look at her, we can tell very clearly, oh, she black, because we know our own. It's just fact. Very, there are very few cases where we don't know. So we knew, we all know. But I think that a lot of the white people over here didn't know. 
right? So she got away with being racially ambiguous. And I even had a chance to watch that documentary, um, Harry and Meghan, on Netflix. And when um, her agent was on, her agent was like, I didn't know what she was, right? Like, black, white. I had no idea she was mixed race. I, I just, you know, I, I had no idea what race she was. Again, going back to the racially ambiguous. And so I think that, that I think she thought was going to carry her even with the royal family and it didn't, right? Like that purebred, we are blue blood, white for generations and, you know, centuries. And then she comes in and kind of throws that off a little bit. I think it was so hard on her because she had never really had to deal with her blackness, not in that way. And not to say she didn't have her own challenges as it related to being of mixed race. I, I don't know what that walk is like. I can imagine it is confusing and difficult and you never quite feel like you fit in. I totally get that. I, I can imagine that's incredibly difficult. But I do know what it's like to be black. And I've been black my whole life. And for people to question you and doubt you and think you're less than and, you know, just look down on you. Like, I've dealt with that my entire higher life, right? And in a way, I guess that's a little bit of a privilege because you don't know different. So for her to have walked a life of, of somewhat privilege, right? To then be thrown into, you know, all of a sudden this abyss of blackness, I, I can imagine that would be difficult. But I ain't gonna lie, it made me feel some kind of way. Cause I was just like, well, I mean, welcome to the, what the rest of us have lived with. And I know that's not right. That's probably a little bit of the hater in me. But again, that's how I felt. So net net, here's what I would say. Don't, I wonder if you can find, you know, like a podcast or a summary of the book. Read that, listen to that. The whole book is totally not worth it. The Netflix docuseries, I think that's worth a watch. The book is slow. <laughs> it's excruciating slow at some points. Some of the tea is piping hot, but really... You can get most of that from the docuseries. So that's my reco. Um, do with it as you will. But y'all, first episode down. Millions more to go, I hope. Thank you for joining me. For any questions, thoughts, feedback, please send it to blackgirlsbonding at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate me on Apple Podcasts, but only if you like it. Thanks, y'all. Have a good one.